Okay, then. Oh, dear. We're recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dedicated Nerds Podcast, episode 10. I am Rob Fiorandino, and I am here with my co-hosts, Carney. Hello, Carney. Hello, you're very loud. And Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, you're louder than our audience. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, we'll do some professional audio mixing to equalize our voices <laughs> so our audience is not blown away. Well, I hope our audience is blown away by our awesomeness. Well, I, I just know. turned down the volume on my headset thanks to you. I mean, <laughs> oh, it was enough that okay. it was physically painful. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I don't know if I have a. I, I'm, I'm using a brand new computer here, so uh, so I may not have the, uh, the and I may not have everything dialed in quite as as well as as normal. But hopefully, our audience will not notice. So, hi guys, how y'all doing? I've got an earache. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Carney. I I feel I feel for you. How are you? How are you tonight? I think that's directed at you, Dave. Well, no, I was. I said the word carny. Oh, I assumed that since I'd already whined, you were moving on to the next victim. So, Dave, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> doing well. Another day in the bag, behind me, done with, etc. Excellent. And we're all still kicking. At least I am. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you're not kicking. Hmm, it's going to be a very quiet podcast, it sounds like. You guys realize the, the point of the podcast is to talk, right? Apparently not. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, w- without any follow-up, we're going to move right on to our discussion in uh, what has become standard fashion. We are going to talk about nerdy space things. Carney, tell us about the Strata launch. Uh, that's Paul Allen's big plane, and um, I, let me ask first: Are you two aware of it? I am not. I am excited to learn about this. All right, Paul Allen decided that he's he's sort of like the first of the rich guys who got into the space thing. Is that yeah? The, the whole idea. For this is Paul. This is Paul Allen, the co-founder of uh, Microsoft. I believe so. Yes. Excellent. So anyway. The whole idea is that in order for people to get into space and space to become a big thing, you got to find a cheaper, more reliable way to get into space. Um, the the various, you know, there's do it cheap, there's doing fixed launchers, and then there's doing a plane-assisted type thing. He went the, the plane-assisted route, and he had, um, I forget the name of the company, but it's Burt's Rutan's company. They built what is... When it when it finally gets off the ground is going to be the largest plane by wingspan to ever fly. And if you've seen a picture of it, it's a tandem rig with two bodies and six jet engines, and it can carry. So it's even larger than the Spruce Goose. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And it kind of looks like two two big jets, like with a wing that's sewn together yeah pretty much um there the crew is actually in i believe the left hand one they only one of the bodies is actually manned and the payload 
is suspended in between the two fuselages to for balance. Now, what's the neat about this is that they've just announced the launch vehicles for this, actually a selection of them. Up till now, the only thing they had was the Pegasus, which was, you know, this teeny tiny little airplane launch thing that didn't really need this huge honking <laughs> plane to get in the air. Hmm. But anyway, it, it looks like there's, I have my doubts about it. I think that Elon Musk and SpaceX are the winners, but this is one of the possibilities for getting cheap, cheaper space travel going. Because with the plane getting up, you know, thirty thousand feet, five six miles, and having six hundred miles an hour of speed, that that doesn't sound like a lot, but that makes a big difference. That's the first thirty seconds or so of a rocket launch taken care of. You know, the whole part where you watch say SpaceX, and the rocket goes straight up, and then it tilts over and starts going. Well, the straight up part, the plane takes care of, and the first 600 miles an hour of the bend over part, the airplane takes over. So it actually turns out to save quite a bit of tonnage. So I'm looking at a, a picture, and for our people who may be driving in the car and don't have access to pictures or whatever, it looks like like in that wing that the two, air, if they had like two aircrafts that are like glued together, the wing that they share, it looks like the, the center portion of that can hold like a rocket as the payload. Is that the idea? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So, it, so, that, so that takes off, and then the, the rocket then ignites when it's at 30,000 feet or whatever, and then goes on from there. Is that, is that the idea? Pretty much the same way the X-15 used to be done, you know, if you've seen any of the, like, the right stuff. You know, they hauled up mm-hmm. the X-15 in a bomb. Well, actually, I guess it was the X-1 in the right stuff. But they haul it up in a bomber, they drop it out of the bomber, it lights off the engine, and off it goes. Cool. I think that's how they, didn't they do the uh, first space shuttle tests were uh, launched off the top of a 747, weren't they? Yes. Those were the not. I don't think those were actual powered ones. Those were glide tests, and basically the 747 would dive out from under the shuttle. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, this is a very interesting looking, uh, a very interesting looking vehicle. Yeah, like I said, I don't know long term how it's going to work because the plane itself is hideously expensive, and you got to ask the question. How much does it cost to land the thing, maintain the thing, refuel the thing, and get the thing in the air again? And is that actually cheaper than a turnaround of a, a SpaceX, you know, Core Five booster? But it's also know. hideously ugly, well, which is yes. which is a which is always a detriment to something that uh, is required to spark the imaginations of young children across the world. But but on the plus side, it's very very big, and that makes up some for the ugly. You know, think elephant. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love how the, the I'm looking at a picture of of the uh, the hangar that it comes out of, and it's it's got kind of like a stair step hangar, which is. Very interesting. It looks looks kind of cool. So maybe that'll make up for it. <laughs> Excellent. When is the big test coming up? Good question. Since this has got to get FAA certified and everything, but best guess is towards the end of the year. I mean, I could go on for quite a while on this. I was just trying to keep it brief. No, I think that's good. Uh, Dave, do you have anything to add on this one? Well, I am new to this. I am a little bit surprised that there's a concern about the expense I mean, it's not like you need a fleet of these to begin with, right? Just one or two, maybe three tops? Yeah, probably something like that. I mean, presumably the turnaround is going to be airplane-like rather than rocket-like. So one hopes that it doesn't take it a month between flights. Right. So you could potentially 
do a, a launch a day or maybe even two per mm-hmm. giant plane. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it might take a day for the pilot to walk around the aircraft to give it the visual inspection. But, <laughs> Possibly. Uh, <yeah. laughs> I would think I would think that one a day sounds like a lot, but for anything that you have to bolt a spacecraft to. Right. I mean, one a day. I'm just the the airplane turnaround probably could ma- you know once they've got it fully tested out and everything the plane turnaround is probably a day uh, setting up the rocket who knows yeah well that seems really cool i uh i mean, I mean this is a definitely a very interesting time for uh, rocket technology isn't it yeah yeah it is because this is the second like i said of the <clears throat> i mean you've got philosophies of rocket design and NASA and everyone else up until recently has basically been in the jeweler's model. You know, they'd lovingly craft these works of art that were, you know, just amazing things, but were hideously expensive and not reusable. And um, Elon Musk and Bezos basically said, okay, we're going to make cheap reusable boosters. Allen started off by saying, hey, you know, we're going to try the air launched model. And the, the one that's left is basically the catapult version, you know, the space gun or whatever you want to call it. And that one that one probably takes more technology than we've got right now. I was going to say, that one sounds like you're really going to be forcing a lot of G-forces, forcing a lot of G-forces upon whatever craft you're launching. Well, it depends, but probably um, it would be handy for... Even the, the the roughest version of it would be really handy for getting just, you know, building materials and raw materials into orbit. But in at least in theory, if you could make one that was about 900 miles long with a launch thing up in, you know, two or three miles up in the Rockies and the, the, the breach of this gun somewhere in California and have a 900 mile long tube, and that would only be about three G's. So that would be human possible. So then are you are you just putting rockets on the back of whatever payload you're trying to shoot with this gun and No, in this case launching the, the rockets along the ground or how does that work? No, I assume it's a rail gun. Yeah, essentially, yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now you can make shorter ones. Uh if you were willing to take thirty G's, you could probably have about a hundred mile long. And um at that point you're you're you know, you're not launching people anymore. <laughs> At least you may launch people, but they're not going to be people. <laughs> they're not going to be people when they come out the muzzle. <laughs> really, though, it sounds much more viable for for not people. I mean, you can launch stuff into orbit mm-hmm. cheap with that, just not people. Yeah, and I have I have some suspicions that. Elon Musk is covering his bets with the Boring Company for that very purpose, because if you take something, what what is it that that trans, that uh, commuter thing that he's the the tube thing? Yeah. Well, if if you basically take that and you make it a bit more robust and put a lot more power into it and point the muzzle in the air, well, you've got a you've got a catapult, you know, space gun. So, right. Right. I'm not saying that's what they're planning on doing, but I'm he's assembling a portfolio of the technology that maybe could do it. Yes, he's building a he's got, he built a, apparently as a Los Angeles tunnel that is uh, almost finished now. And I mean, it's a smart move to have a company because there's always demand for you know mega scale tunnel digging. That's you know expensive, hideous, and you know everybody needs it tomorrow for whatever project they've got. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is K on flow? Oh, well, 
I was, I'm springing that on mild. I, I just assumed that uh, Carney on Florence would would be a part of this, even though it might not be timely by the time we release this. So, well, start off by explaining what uh, what that means. Oh, well, Carney always has a lot to say regarding hurricanes. So, oh, I see. That, that's because I've been conditioned like a lab rat. <laughs> you know, you lock up a rat and run an electric current through it for a few years. I mentioned the rats could have a lot of opinions on electricity. <laughs> I didn't say it was bad. What do you, what do you have to say about the uh, incoming storm that's uh, going to be relevant in a month when people actually listen to this? Well, everybody I know that um, was anywhere near that headed for the hills, so... I'm actually feeling happy. I don't have to worry about some idiot who says, I'm going to ride it out with my two dogs and three cats. <laughs> yes. Not that I'm thinking about anybody, but if you're listening to this blesk, you're an idiot. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully he or she is doing just fine and doesn't have to rebuild their house. No, he was uh, as a he. He lived in Houston when Harvey or whatever it is came in, and that was like, oh yeah, you got to spend two weeks. I think it was like a week that the, the, their subdivision was basically an island, and then when that finally settled, it was another two or three weeks before they got power and water. Like, that was a real nightmare. I, my two brothers lived down in Houston, and uh, one one of them uh, had to abandon his car on the freeway, and the other one was about, I think, uh, a couple of feet from having his house flooded. So, yes, craziness. All right, what is New Horizons Uma Thurman? No, wait, Ultima Thule. That is the Pluto probe. Um, It it took all those wonderful pictures of Pluto, and then they aimed it at something that they've nicknamed Ultima Thule. It's a trans-Plutonian, or it's a, yeah, can't say the word K U I P E R belt object Kuiper belt. There, I think I said it right. Don't ask me to do that again. Anyway, it's 104 million miles out from Ultima Thule now, New Horizons, the probe, and they recently took the first picture, which was just like one pixel to calibrate the camera. But it's on target and going to be there sometime next year. I'd have to go look to give you the exact time. I had it memorized when I wrote it up there. But anyways, this is going to be the furthest object ever visited by a human probe. It's going to be the first, you know, Kuiper belt object, unless you count Pluto, to be visited. It's just it's just going to be really, really interesting. It's also they've gotten enough data now that they think that this might be a binary object, two 20-mile objects, either in contact rotation or very close and orbiting around each other. Excellent. And this is uh, according to space.com. On January 1st, 2019, the NASA probe will zoom by Ultima Thune, Ultima Thule, which apparently is a medieval uh, term used in medieval times to mean beyond the known world. It's very dramatic. I think it goes previous to that because I think that's the Greeks that... I see, I see, yes, I see uh, the next sentence, in fact, on the Space.com article that I am just shamelessly reading. Thule was a location in far northern Europe, hazily invoked by the ancient Greeks and Romans. There you go. So cool. Well, that's going to be exciting. So uh, uh, speaking of Pluto, we did have some uh, Planet Nine news this week, didn't we? Well, not so much news as more... Uh, I don't know how nerdy you want to get, but uh, the they're modeling 
various, you know, they since we can't go back in time and see how the solar system formed, astronomers spend a lot of time dinking with computer models to try to make things come out the way they, they actually are. And mm-hmm. one of the interesting things that they've done recently is Earth might be a second generation rocky planet. And as a fallout of that is that it works well with ejecting a, a ice giant into the outer system. So, you know, that model looks like maybe the, maybe they can actually explain a planet nine, which they think might exist out there. How, how solid the think is depends a lot on who you talk to is there's a lot of good evidence that says that there, there's a lot of good evidence that says that there is a planet out there right up until they come up with an evidence for something else. Let's put it that way. Hmm. They don't actually have a Planet Nine until they have a Planet Nine, if that makes sense. Right. Okay, so now this is different than the story I thought you were talking about, which is a new story that uh, that I saw on CNN that some scientists now claim that Pluto is actually Planet Nine and should be re-upgraded again. I actually believe that because the, the whole planet, not a planet thing, is astronomers basically getting into an internet argument about whether a ram is memory on a computer or a male sheep. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's jar. It, basically it's jargon. It's their internal astronomer jargon and a fight about that spilling out into the real world. To the rest of us, to you, me, everybody, Pluto's a planet. Not, not because it meets some ticky-tacky requirements, but because it's an interesting place out in space that orbits around the sun. And that's really all we need to know. And it, and it doesn't matter that there may be other objects that are the same size also in orbit. doesn't matter to me. So <laughs> Right. So, I mean, we, we may have 20 or 30 planets, but... And so some people are are caught are are, are uh, caught up on the fact that oh we can't have can't possibly have that many planets that'd be right. too many right which of course is ridiculous but and, and you know even if that were true you could call Pluto a planet and just arbitrarily say you you and you I don't like you you're not planets we sure could <laughs> yeah, and, yeah I mean at some point you probably want a definition to be n- non arbitrary in a scientific field I would think. Right, and there's no reason why they can't have this kind of discussion inside astronomy. But they don't need to come out and make the make rules that say, well, from now on, Pluto shall not be referred to as a planet. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. It's, it's like some of the arcane arguments they have about what, you know, if a planet forms around a sun and it gets ejected out into space, what do you call it? Well, believe it or not, astronomers uh, have almost hysterical fights about that. It's a planet, okay. But no, 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 it's mm-hmm. a transstellar object. It's a this, it's a that, it's a the other. <laughs> it's like you're out of your minds. It's a planet. It's. <laughs> you're going to make me bring out the bleep gun, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I'm sorry. I'll stop now. You pushed no, no, a cool. button. All right. You pushed hey, a button. Hey, no, that's good. <laughs> These are good buttons to push. I like them. They're very exciting buttons. So, so okay, so Pluto may or may not be a planet, depending on uh, which astronomers you choose to uh, religiously follow. Um, so, but let's get back to uh, to Planet Nine. So this is, which which was confusing to me because I, I kept waiting for you to get to the part where Pluto is a planet again. But you you, <laughs> so you're saying that there is this this object out there that might be invisible to visible light or. 
Yes. Or uh, that okay. that is is so is is circling the sun and and might be quite uh, massive. Yeah. The deal is is that they tracked a bunch of these trans Neptunian objects, the Kuiper Belt objects, and and the, there's a whole other argument about whether they're really Kuiper Belt objects, but let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> but that have very odd trajectories, very odd orbits, and when they start and they found several of these, and when they started modeling this. One of the possible explanations is a large mass, 5 to 10 Earth masses, out in an orbit, ballparking 200 to 1200 AUs. You know, it's a, a very elongated, with a close approach in the 200 AU range and a far approach in the 1200 AU range. And when then when they started playing with the data, it turns out that something like that in, a, in its you know, in a, a tilted orbit, also would explain the fact that the solar system is slightly tilted in respect to the sun's rotation. So, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that says that there could be something out there in the 5 to 10 Earth mass range that's responsible for all the, the these, you know, strange orbits and, and tilts that we find, but they haven't been able to find it. And they know for, a, well, I shouldn't say for a fact, but they're pretty sure, like 99.9%, that there's no objects bigger than 10 Earth masses out there, because at that point it would get big enough that some of the telescopes that they've got would have picked it up on infrared or, you know, some other medium, depending. But something hmm. that's 5 to 10 Earth masses would be, basically would be, even at 200, at the closest approach, would be almost right at the edge of what's capable, we're capable of resolving. And if it's further out, it gets harder and harder to see it. So it's possible there's something out there that we just haven't detected. And if it's at the extreme range of its orbit, we might not be able to detect it. I mean, do they have an estimate as to far as to how far or how you know, where where it is? They have some, but I'm like a distance from the sun. Yes and no. I have a hard time following the arguments with that because that that gets <laughs> well beyond my my limited remaining math capabilities. But what I understand is that they they think it might be, depending on some arguments about Cassini and its behavior, it might be in the four hundred to eight hundred AU range, somewhere. I I'm trying to remember what they say. I, I believe to the to the solar system south, you know which. Hmm. But I don't hold me on that. That that part, and it different. may not, and it may not be orbiting on the plane that that the rest of the planets are orbiting on. In fact, it almost certainly isn't. Yeah, okay. The current models say that it's tilted. I think at least thirty degrees. Wow, that's okay. Which so would seem to make it harder to spot too, then, because it could be just anywhere in the sky. Yeah, and they've gone back and they they've been digging through years of archive photos in the right general direction, hoping to find you know one little speck, you know that moves, but they haven't so far that I know. Of course, they could somebody could be sitting on proof that it exists and trying to get it published right now. So who knows? Or they may be sitting on the proof and not even know it. Oh well, that's almost <laughs> a that's almost a certainty actually. Somebody yeah. almost certainly actually has a picture of this, you know, but <laughs> they don't know. It's framed in their living room right next to their grandma, and they have no idea what it is. <laughs> Precisely. It's a Nobel Prize escaping <laughs> them. Probably. Well, yeah, almost certainly. 
something that big and that far. So 400 AUs, that's a, one AU is, a dis, is the distance from the sun to the earth, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that is and way out there. Neptune is at 20 AUs, if I recall correctly. So you're talking about 10 times the distance to Neptune at its closest approach. That's past the uh, the barrier from Star Trek, the barrier of our solar system, the mythical <laughs> shield that somehow surrounded our solar system in, in Star Trek. Uh-huh. Huh? Oh, you're thinking yeah, about our okay. galaxy. You're thinking of the oh, was, the, was it the barrier of the galaxy in Star yes, Trek? Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, equally well, that's mythical, the, I think. That's much more realistic. thank you all right so i think what we just were talking about was dark matter for the solar system yeah kind of local dark matter our own cute little pet dark matter well (laughs) depends on your definition of dark matter but yes well, this thing that nobody can find, but it explains all the other stuff that we do see. Yeah. Well, in that sense, yeah. yes. I would refer to that more as a boojum, you know, or a snark. There's a snark out there. Better be careful, it may catch you. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I was saying. At any minute, they may come up with another explanation that says, oh, no, no planets, sorry. <laughs> now, when I was in Boy Scout camp, we called that a snipe hunt. Yes. But the snipe <laughs> might or not be out there, and it might or might not eat you. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's the thing about snipes. You never know. <laughs> Vicious little beasts. <laughs> All right, Dave, what nerdy things have you uh, come across this week that you, you'd like to share with the rest of the class? Well, I already listed everything that I had in mind. Um, so I think it's probably Rob's new computer that we, we oh. really want to get to. Excellent. Well, yes, I uh, I did purchase a new computer this week. It's the uh, Alienware Aurora R7, and it's the, it was uh, one of the stock configurations. Uh, it's about two thousand dollars. And uh, is it liquid really, cooled? It is not liquid cooled. Oh, pooed. I, I had a. I know. I know. I, I'm I'm actually fine with it not being liquid cooled. <laughs> yeah. Having at work one time, we had a, a liquid cooled Mac <laughs> Pro that uh, a leak. liquid went everywhere. Let's say at one point, and, and we, yeah, it was likely knew, it was still under warranty. I knew somebody who he was one of these extreme you know builders. He overclocked everything. He had this this water cooled thing with an external water tank, and apparently he managed to run the thing to the point where some of the water flashed to steam it pressurized the whole system blue water everywhere hot water oh, everywhere goodness yeah, i was like better him than me <laughs> yeah i don't i mean i'm sure they've got it under control and all but yeah i just kind of don't trust the liquid cooling for for whatever reason <laughs> no, my experience no. with liquid cooling is singular and completely perfect. The Falcon Northwest yes. I bought in 2010, ran it nonstop for, what, I guess practically eight years, and I uh, didn't have a single problem with it. And I really liked it because you could run the fans at lower speeds, and it was much quieter. Now, this ah, yeah, replacement yeah. piece I have that's actually fairly similar to what you got is air-cooled. And every once in a while, he gets a little bit racketous. Yeah, I, that is definitely a benefit. So I guess between between the two of us, we have a fifty uh, percent uh, uh, liquid cooled success rate. 
yeah. I'm sure that yeah, I, 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 I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that it's uh, it's probably better than that. I, I don't. I, you, yeah, I don't don't know uh, if I got lucky or you got unlucky, but I think I got I think I got unlucky. <laughs> I think it also depends on what who's doing it and for what reason. For what Dave's doing, you know, he's got a perfectly reasonable computer that was looking cool, and he ran it at lower temperatures. Is that yeah. a lot of these people who are building these liquid cool systems are doing it so that they can purposely run it, you know, an overload. Bring the reactor right. to one hundred and twenty percent. But Captain, <laughs> it will blow up. I kind of do it so I give it all I've got. Yeah, kind of yeah. break the laws of physics, you know. No, I I bought it for the quiet, not the speed. So, yeah, that's actually a really good. I mean, that's a really good point. I hadn't considered is is that it, it is quieter. Although I have to say, this uh, Alienware uh, Aurora R seven is is much quieter than the. Uh, aircraft carrier that i used to have uh, in my in my my room here and was making lots of noise and uh, hopefully the recording that everyone is listening to is much more pristine now now you're you're not recording it on there you're just uh sitting next to it not being slammed with extraneous sound waves my audio signal is going through this computer and uh and being sent to the internet by this computer Oh, I thought you were using your Mac for that. Sorry. Uh, no, that's quite all right. I do occasionally use my my Mac my Mac Pro laptop uh, for recording, but uh, in this case, I'm using the Alienware. And yeah, I've actually always used the PC for this particular podcast. Uh, so, what? but it is it is amazing uh, playing World of Warcraft, which uh, we all play, of course, and it's got the uh, the uh, GTX 1080 Ti with 11 gigabytes of RAM, and I'm sure it's really awesome. Um, but yeah, so it's cool. I love it. It's nice having a new computer after six years. Yeah, I was going to say that I went a different route than Dave to get a quiet computer. I just paid a little more for components and went looking for low wattage. You know, my mm-hmm. graphics card, the hard drive, everything was, I would look for the efficient stuff that didn't require a thousand watt power supply and a liquid cooling. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's, and having lots of fans that maybe hopefully can run at a slightly slower speed might help as well. That's an approach I've looked into. But it's, it doesn't work because, I've, I mean, for me, I have not found a re-aesthetically controlled fan that you can take down to a low spinning speed. Not not for a reasonable cost, anyway. So, But aren't most of the, aren't all, the, so all the fans are controlled by the motherboard, though, right? Depends, but mine are. Or yeah, setable. I, was, I know the last couple of PCs I've built, I had, I had some controls as to that. But, yeah, I've never, never, never built one that... That really had that was very quiet. <laughs> oh, so the, the the fan, the case, the case fans are controlled by the motherboard, or just the uh, yeah, the yeah. CPU fan. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, well, all all of the above. It, it it has temperature or it has uh, thermometers in there and turns the makes the fans hotter, makes the fans spin faster when it's hotter. Yeah. The reason they'll build your own I'll tend to be so loud, right? Is that people tend to go for well, power rather than anything else. Right. This will run at, you know, zillion megahertz. Well, yes, and it's glowing yeah. red hot. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and I'm hoping that this Dell uh, 
and you know my uh, my Macs at work and everything. They've they've all have hopefully very carefully engineered airflow paths that uh, that are that are built to handle this kind of thing. And the computer that I've the, the boxes that I've purchased to build are just kind of boxes. big boxes, <laughs> <laughs> and really have given pretty much zero thought to airflow that I can tell. And just the answer is just put more fans in it. It'll be great. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? I was looking at a case that had two rows of four fans built in the side. You know, it was like this array of eight fans on the side of it. Yeah. And I'm going, gonna, I've got some friends who would probably buy that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put the piece we're gonna put the PC out in the garage and run some really long cables. It'll be fine. I actually love that idea. Now that you can, you know, run the video yeah. over HDMI. You know, you can get yeah. a 50-foot HDMI cable. You can. You, uh, although, if you go more than if you go more than about 25 feet, you're going to run into trouble. We actually run quite a bit of long HDMI, and on uh, on both ends, we have converter boxes. One system we use converts uh, HDMI to Cat six cable, and then another system we have uh, converts HDMI to uh, SDI, serial digital. Um, video and then but an sdi cables can run for a long long time we can go up to a couple hundred feet with those so that's the system you really want that probably caps out at uh like the maximum ethernet run of like 100 meters or something uh i think i'm sure the cat 6 one does um the sdi cables i we have run 200 foot runs and it's perfect so that's that's what's that's what the the big uh the big TV broadcasting systems use. They have very, very long runs. But yeah, you have to put in, if you go if you go much longer than a couple hundred feet, I think you have to put in, you know. Uh, Repeaters? Amplifiers. Am- yeah, distribution amplifiers. So, yeah. So that's cool. And, uh, and I also took the opportunity to upgrade my monitor from a 23-inch monitor to a uh, 27-inch monitor, which I thoroughly enjoy especially while recording podcasts because i can have two full browser windows right next to each other both open at the same time so you went from cool. microscopic to you know <laughs> rodent sized monitor <laughs> yes that's right because you, you're on you're on a 60 inch monitor right uh, Carney? Uh, no well that'd be nice but no Wouldn't only 34 oh. inches oh 34 okay what and you're running that at 800 by 600 i think is that uh-huh. right yep yes <laughs> Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a different kind of that's a whole different different world. Yes, welcome to bad eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And what are and what are you running, Dave, with your new uh, with your new computer that you got? What did you get about six months ago? Uh, yeah, I picked it up in February and got a twenty four and a twenty seven inch monitor that I use with it. So you have a tw- oh, you have both of them plugged in. Yeah. Now, do you run those? Do you run those? Uh, are those both on while you're gaming? Does that? Yes. I always wondered how how those how the video cards kind of handle multiple monitors when one of them is used for gaming and it's supposed to use like all the bandwidth to ha- have these awesome visuals. Does it does it affect the quality when you have the other monitor on or unplugged? Or on I've, versus unplugged. Yeah, I've never, I've never even, I've never tested that. I, the video quality has always been sufficient. I mean, Wow isn't 
designed to be the prettiest game on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care what it looks like that much. So maybe I'm not a critical enough observer. But Let me throw it. Is that, uh, I'll grant you it depends on how you've got it configured. But most systems, um, it's not going to affect one monitor what goes on the other because it offloads it to the GPU. And you usually have one GPU to each monitor. You have like two video cards, one for each monitor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, but I'm sure Dave's got both monitors plugged into the same video card. Yeah, I just have a I have a single uh, video card with uh, it's got three or four outputs. So I mean, theoretically, you could put I think four monitors on this without messing around too much. Yeah, I've been I've been and I've been running WoW in windowed mode for probably the last at least ten years. So okay, I, I think it just looks as good as any other windowed application so mm-hmm. may- maybe i'm missing out on something but you know ignorance is bliss well i have to say in the in the battle against ignorance um the new version of world of warcraft or the new expansion that came out uh, just recently looks amazing especially when i'm i mean i was it is a huge difference between what i was the six-year-old computer i was on and this one it uh, really is i mean turn everything up to maximum and uh, it just looks beautiful. It's 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 really it looks fantastic, and it's not. I mean, it's it's still kind of got the you know obviously it still has the comic book art style, but uh, it's beautiful. Oh, I agree. So you can see in high resolution the croc that's biting your ass from underground. That's right. <laughs> All the bugs are very very crystal clear. Not that I'm at least a bit bitter. <laughs> Yes, look at how beautifully half of my body is sunk into the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for Carney, but I, I, if they want to put their money into content and mechanics rather than prettiness, I'm good with that. It's it's plenty pretty now. They don't have to keep amping it up. Yeah. My thing is is that I, I, I just wish that this is not like something new, you know? It's like, could could we make some serious effort to the stuff that's underground and in walls and you know i mean clipping errors come on do some testing and when they're reported do something to fix it don't just ignore it and say oh yeah working as intended have fun (laughs) you know welcome to westfall as you fall through the world Cool. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty good uh, set of topics that we've run through tonight. Here, let's uh, let's move on to what's been good this fortnight. And uh, Carney, you have you have a treadmill, from what I understand. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I couldn't tell you the model right now to save my life, but it's it's about a thousand dollar treadmill we got because, well, me and my wife are both out of shape and. <laughs> we don't like going outside and um we've actually gotten to play with it and I, I i like it quite a bit i got stupid and decided i would see how well i could run on it and um yeah covering half a mile at um i found out it will go up it won't go any faster than 10 miles an hour but i got to 10 miles an hour and i had to dial it back down because i was going to go through a wall <laughs> or have a heart attack <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say that's a good that's a good clip when when I when I when I was in high school, I could cover a mile in less than six minutes, no problem. Now the only way I'm going to cover a mile in six minutes is if you kick me out of an airplane a mile up. 
I managed to cover half a mile in about four and a half minutes and just about killed myself. I'm sticking to walking for a while until I build my endurance up. The bane of uh, exercise quite often is that you get something, overdo it, and then hang clothes on it. So hopefully it didn't go that far. Oh, no, no. I'm, I, I didn't. I desperately need something like this, and I can't abide by the stupid stationary bicycle that my wife's got. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a week now of doing a, well, let's call it what it is. I amble along on the treadmill while watching TV for a while, but it, you know, it's more than I was doing. So, I'm going to gradually ramp up. Does your activity tracker have a setting for ambling? <laughs> is that... <laughs> I would say that's about three miles an hour, yes. Okay, 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 good. That's probably about what I amble at as well then. (laughs) So, Dave, what's been good this fortnight for you? Well, I didn't come up with anything that's uh, current. Um, I'm looking forward to the future when stuff doesn't grow where I dropped my (laughs) pre-emergent. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I can only now hope that what I did will cause things not to live in the future. Nice. Well, that is that's good. Then I'd say, well, good for you, bad for the plant material. My vote is on the plants. They they always win in the end. And I will uh, I will add uh, Spider Man for PlayStation Four, which came out this last week, which is an amazingly cool game, and uh, may, it's the first uh, Spider Man since Spider Man Two that I have I thought that was really cool. So I've been playing that away and. I uh, haven't had as much time to play as I would have liked, but uh, it's really good. So I am I'm happy to have made that purchase. I'm good. Yeah. Almost makes me wish I had a PS4. Well, there's still there's still a chance. You can plug that into your 34-inch monitor and game away. Oh, no, I'd plug it into the 60-inch plasma we've got. Oh, yeah, there you go. That would be better. Although you got to watch out for burning, I suppose. Those plasma screens. Are you still actually running a plasma? Oh, yeah. They're going to pry my plasma out of my cold, dead hands. Plasma is so much better than LCD. Oh, I couldn't agree more. The blacks are just delicious. And the only problem is UL. I guess maybe it's probably more of a problem down in Atlanta is that it it acts as a heater for the house. But uh, other than that. Um, It's in our great room. It's... Yes, it generates heat, but in it's a position where it's well disp- dissipated. It's it's it doesn't turn any rooms particularly hot, you know. I now if it was like in where I've got my computer, then yeah, I would it would quickly turn this room into you know a bake a Betty Crocker bake set. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope that the houses in Atlanta are are well air conditioned. <laughs> yes, yes. Another reason why we don't go outside. <laughs> Right, <laughs> exactly. I still have the plasma that we purchased back in 2004. That uh, The advantage of that is that I can turn it up and down, so it either draws 100 watts if you're watching it in a dark, dark room, or if you want to see it uh, in the day, you crank it up, and it's about 500 watts. But um, it's, the, it's not the HD, it's the pre-HD version. So... Uh, is that well, like Rob, the 720p? Isn't that? I think I've well, seen Rob, that. Well, Rob, yeah, you probably remember us playing the uh, Xbox 360, <laughs> or yes. whatever, on it for the uh, the two hours that I've for used the, that, that, that. Uh, console. 
Yes, and, I do uh, remember that. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was kind of reminiscent of playing video games on a television in 1984 from an Apple. It just you know very pixelated. Um, yes, good enough it's for like movies. 720p. Isn't it like 720p? I must have a much resolution? much better. I can't remember what the resolution on mine is, but on ours, uh, it's um, it it continues to be a very amazing quality to me. Yeah, I would guess if it's if it's modern, it's probably a, you've got at least ten ten eighty p. At least that, yeah. Yeah, I think he probably got an HD one. I I got pre HD. It was the resolution of a DVD, and that's all I ever planned to watch on it, and it displays them at native resolutions. Yeah, which is seven. Which well, the DVDs that I used to make were seven twenty by four eighty, which is which is standard definition. But I thought it was a little bit. It was like enhanced, wasn't it, or something? Well, it was enhanced to that degree. As far as I know, it was exactly the resolution of a DVD. All right, enhanced television ETV. Yeah, it was four. It's fourteen years old. I've uh, lost interest in it. I fire it up once a year, watch the Super Bowl, shut it back down for three hundred sixty four days. So. <laughs> well there you go and is that is that still kind of the main tv in your house well we have one, another one that we watch our movies on um that actually gets used but no this thing is it literally gets turned on for one day a year well yeah 500 watts is probably probably best yeah middle of the winter <laughs> <laughs> exactly and probably not that efficient because our six our 60 inch doesn't I don't think draw. I mean, it may draw five hundred watts, but you know, it's also I think a bit bigger. It certainly doesn't put. You know, it's not space heaterish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, those watts, those watts got to go somewhere. Yeah, ours only draws five hundred watts if you turn it up brighter than you would actually want to watch it normally. That's just the range. So, yeah, but I bet it looks awesome when you do, right? The the blacks don't get any blacker though. Oh, yeah, I suppose not. Well, on that note, uh, this has been a, a fine episode. Thanks, guys. Uh, say good night, Carney. Good night. And say good night, Dave. Oh, good good night. I thought this was the middle of the day. Wait, what? It, I guess it depends on when our beautiful audience is listening to us. And beautiful audience, if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us at Dedicated Nerds on Twitter or send email to Dedicated Nerds at gmail.com or just visit us at dedicatednerds.net.